0: Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. Happy Friday to all of you, no matter where you live in the world, and I must say it is really great to be back on the air. I know all of you were beginning to wonder, when in the world would Kirk Monroe get back on the air? Well, the good news is that, first off, I am back on the air, and secondly, we are now embarking on a new uh, podcast book topic series discussion. So that definitely is a, a great sign of uh, good news to report, and I'm sure many of you are probably wondering, where do we go next? Well, I do recall when I was on the air last week when we were finishing up uh, Eric J. Dolan's um, Rebels at Sea Privateering in the American Revolution, I believe I do recall mentioning to you all that there could have been a chance, or rather, I should say, could be a chance that in the next uh, book podcast uh, topic series discussion, that um, that the study could involve talking about a um, could involve talking about a person who, um, yes, had a um, significant role, but at the same time uh, had a potential to be a, a complex person. As a matter of fact, a lot of you probably know who this person is, because it turns out that we will be discussing in this next uh, podcast uh, series topic about an individual who uh, dealt with um, a lot of uh, internal issues. Why is that important? Well, to understand this individual is to understand the time that he lived in. So I will tell you this much. We will be sticking with the American Revolution, and I know many of you are wondering, you know, Kirk, don't you ever branch out from the American Revolution? Well, I I do have proof that I have. Um, for those of you who have been with me since June of 2020, um, you all have uh, listened in to a variety of other uh, topics that are outside of the American Revolution. But the reason why I'm sticking um, in this uh, book series uh, discussion, because uh, I've For one, I uh, read this book uh, back over the uh, summer of last year. And secondly, I um, really thought long and hard about whether or not I could even do a book uh, podcast topic series about this individual. And after rereading various uh, chapters in the book, I knew right away that I could do it. And you know what? To me, that's the most important thing. Because number one, by realizing that I can... um, present a topic to you all, not only do I have the confidence in myself to do it, but you all will walk away learning more about, you know, say an event or about a person that you thought you already knew everything to, but now all of a sudden have learned more than you ever had previously expected. So the most important thing is that uh, based upon what I read uh, from this past summer regarding this individual, I felt that it was important to share the story, not just share the story, but more so the broader story, because for some time, I think it's fair to say that uh, we've been told only fragments to the story. Well, how about we start off with an introduction? And by starting off with an introduction, or rather I should say a prologue, we will uh, have a. We will have more clarification on where it is we're going. We'll even have a better sense of whom exactly we are learning about and why it still matters to this day. So here we go. For most American Revolutionary War history buffs, Patriot battlefield victories are usually often associated with with such prominent officers from General George Washington General Nathaniel Greene, Brigadier General Daniel Morgan, Major General Marquis de Lafayette. Now, I know I've just mentioned uh, four officers, but they are just some of the many noteworthy leaders, whom uh, were, whom played a significant uh, role in uh, guiding uh, the Greater Continental Army to defeating um, the British not just defeating the British, but how about, say, defeating the mightiest empire in the world over a course of uh, eight years. While learning about Continental Army victories, including setbacks, you know, being defeats, must never be forgotten. And sometimes we have tendencies to only focus on, a, on certain uh, battles. You know, when we think of the American Revolution, sometimes we're so focused on the Uh, First shots fired around the world at Lexington and Concord to Bunker Hill, um, you know, Trenton, New Jersey, um, maybe the New York uh, campaign. But then we forget about uh, campaigns that um, happened in the southern uh, theater of the war. But, you know, we're always uh, convinced that it was Yorktown that officially ended the war or the Battle of Yorktown, largely in part because of uh, General Lord Charles Cornwallis' surrender to George Washington. But we do have to keep in mind that, um, that a lot of other um, battles were just as important, big and small, in helping the Americans, or rather the Continental Army uh, forces, prevail over an eight-year span, in, in the highest of highs and even in the lowest of lows. So, yes, while learning about Continental Army victories, including setbacks, must never be for must never be forgotten, most people have tendencies to overlook conflict, which did happen internally throughout a good portion of the Revolutionary War. I'm sure some of you are thinking now, conflict. Isn't the conflict between the United States, this newly created United States, and her um in her, um, what do you call it, and the country that she severed ties from, being that of England, the mother country. Yes, that's what we do have tendencies of, to think that it's just this battle between uh, America and Britain from a war standpoint. But how about I provide you all with some better examples of internal conflict that did happen throughout a good portion of the Revolutionary War. And even after all even after this uh, prologue is done with, I can assure you this much, folks, that we will have to learn more about um, the greater struggle of internal conflict and how it um, pertained to this um, individual whose name will eventually be revealed. So one common example of internal conflict, which often did play out during a good duration throughout throughout the Revolutionary War, pertained to how Congress, or rather I should say the Continental Congress, functioned as an institution. Gosh, you know, we're, we we we've always been told that uh, the Continental Congress was unified. I mean, after all, there is that famous portrait of of the uh, Committee of Five uh, bringing the um, final uh, document or the final draft document of the Declaration of Independence to uh, Mr. John Hancock, and everybody else in the background um, all uh, sitting together as one. Well, yes, that 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 was a big deal, but even after. We have uh, severed our official ties with the mother country. Con- the Continental Congress has uh, lots of issues. You know, there is, believe it or not, folks, there was partisanship um, throughout the Revolutionary War within uh, Congress's halls. Of course, partisanship is nothing new, but we do have tendencies to forget that partisanship did exist um, during the uh, eight-year conflict um, Of the American Revolution. So, yes, one common example of internal conflict which often did play out during a good duration throughout the Revolutionary War pertained to how Congress, or I should say the Continental Congress, functioned as an institution. However, there were plenty of moments when Congress did come together as a unified body, and here's a great example of uh, Congress uh, not being partisan yes to Continental Congress being totally unified in June of 1775 when John Adams of Massachusetts nominated George Washington from Virginia as the new Continental Army Commander. uh, um, Adams, pardon me, John Adams, that is, um, personally believed that Washington was the right uh, man for the uh, post of uh, Continental Army Commander Because, for one, he knew about Washington's past, uh, having fought in the French and Indian War, to having been a surveyor. But he knew that a Virginian should take the uh, lead command, largely in part because Virginia was the largest of the 13 colonies. You know, Virginia's land or her territory goes all the way into uh, present-day Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. Some in Virginia say that the territory goes into the Great Lakes, So, if you are the largest of the 13 colonies, you shouldn't, for one, you can't be left out. But, two, John Adams was right. A Virginian must be in charge of the uh, Continental Army because a Virginian has the means of being able to draw uh, people from up north, people from the uh, middle colonies, and what is left of the southern colonies together to band as one. So, there was no um, opposition. On the Continental Congress's part with uh, George Washington being nominated by Mr. John Adams of Massachusetts. How about the exact opposite being a no to Continental Congress becoming partisan in the aftermath of the New York battle campaign of 1776? It was a disastrous battle. Not just battle, it was a disastrous campaign. It was just one debacle after another. Britain had brought in the whole 9 yards they brought in thousands of ships with soldiers you know here we had just driven the british out of boston in march of 1776 british ships had transported nearly 2000 loyalists from boston to to their new uh, destination halifax nova scotia it seemed as though washington was on had just reached reached an all-time mighty high. People were revering him left and right. They were calling him the new savior. As much as Washington himself appreciated those remarks, Washington also realized, you know, he, he told people, look, I appreciate your remarks, but this war is far from over. They'll be back. It's just a matter of time. And shortly after um, Congress um, approved of the final um, Draft of the Declaration of Independence, and that in being July Fourth is the day that we officially declared our um, severing of to the mother country. Shortly um, after all that uh, joyous, shortly after the the joyous occasion occurred, Britain came in the full nine yards, and by August of 1776, it was not a pretty scene. So. So, in the aftermath of the New York Battle Campaign of 1776, all hope seemed lost for independence. Desertions were rampant. People, uh, rather I should say, men in the Continental Army were abandoning the cause. They just felt that there was really nothing left worth to fight for. So, what do uh, members of the Continental Congress go about doing? Not everybody, but a good number of them do. They decide to point the fingers at General Washington. Some are beginning to wonder, hey, maybe General Washington is not the right fit for the Continental Army. Maybe he needs to be replaced with someone else who's a little bit younger than him. Maybe someone who's a little bit more bold. Well, you know, you can say all you want, but at the same time, General Washington knows that what he endured at New York it was a lot of trial and error but yet his continental army is intact but it's not the same continental army that uh, had been able to successfully drive out the british during the siege of boston that en- of boston massachusetts that ended in march of uh, 1776 so a lot of things have uh, happened that have not been for the better over a 6 month span But, of course, as we know, uh, an act of God does happen, or not so much an act of God, but a miraculous um, act of God, thanks largely in part to a double spy agent who gave Washington and his uh, inner circle what they needed. What they needed was a surprise attack. They needed to attack the British at their lowest moment, and by attacking the British at their lowest moment, it would reinvigorate the Continental Army. It would also reinvigorate the cause from, uh, for independence. And so um, it is fair to say that uh, even Congress, as a uh, governing institution, probably felt much better knowing that they did not uh, get rid of George Washington. Had they gotten rid of Washington, who's to say that even before 1776 ended, that the Continental Army, as a What's left of it as a functioning unit would have no longer been able to function properly. So, um, I think, so the best way to sum it up here, folks, is that examples like the ones that I just described are just some of numerous instances where leadership within Congress's hallways to the meeting rooms got tested internally. I will admit going forward in our new uh, podcast book series, Topic Discussion, that conflict from an internal perspective won't go unnoticed. It's definitely fair to say that conflict, big and small, is a part of everyone's lives, and ironically, conflict itself has been in mankind's existence since the beginning of time. Wouldn't it be fair to say that resolving a conflict, or rather resolving a conflicting matter, regardless of size, is totally up towards the um, individual or individuals involved? Oh, I would say so. You either have a choice to resolve the matter and be able to live with yourself, even if it's not, say, fully resolved 100%, or you can uh, sit back and blame everybody else for your problems and choose to live in misery. I hate to say this, but... uh, not to sound political, folks, but it is true. I mean, we hear about it in the news. We hear about it, sadly, with shootings. We have to wonder, people who commit heinous crimes, are they truly happy individuals? We have to figure that out for ourselves, but I think, I think it is fair to say that we would probably know the answer to that. But again, I'm not trying to sound political about it. What if I told you all, my fellow 101 History uh, Podcast listeners, about a Continental Army officer who was well-known, including having a distinguished record, but yet remained someone whom internally struggled with conflict before and during the Revolutionary War? Well, isn't it fair to say that many Continental Army officers Dealt with different degrees of conflict over an eight-year period from 1775 to 1783. Yes, and if I could name one who dealt with conflict the entire course of the eight years of the eight-year war, wouldn't it be fair to say it was George Washington? I mean, Washington. I mean, yes, he had he did have moments where he could celebrate a victory, but for every victory gained, there would always be a setback. Washington always had to worry about whether or not there would be desertions. He was always uh, in, in a state of concern over whether or not his um, army would be properly clothed, fed. Um, you know, the, the logistics behind clothing to feeding a Continental Army was a never um, ending, um, mind boggling game from a logistical standpoint. And isn't it fair to say that even Washington himself was in conflict with members of Congress, who at times probably did not like him? Sure. So, whatever the textbooks told you all about everybody being rosy all the time uh, within uh, Congress and within the Continental Army during the eight-year war, we need to rethink that, because that is not the way it was. So, so the answer is yes to, um, isn't, it, you know, being, isn't it fair to say that many Continental Army officers dealt with different degrees of conflict over the eight-year period? Yes, but one particular Continental Army officer appeared constantly embroiled in a never-ending saga where various conflicting issues would ultimately lead to his greatest undoing by betraying America and her ultimate cause independence from England. This man already a national hero, prior to partaking in the greatest undoing of his time, was none other than Major General Benedict Arnold. Think about that one for a moment, folks. Hang tight. I'm sure some of you probably may have known that already, but if some of you who are New to learning about the American Revolution, this is going to be a great uh, series for you all, especially if you, if you don't know much about Benedict Arnold. Ever since Benedict Arnold passed away at the start of the 19th century, his image in the eyes of many Americans has come to be seen as the following. Following descriptions. Deceitful. Manipulative. Greedy. Ignorant. Ignorant self-centered, egotistical? Well, I could definitely say that um, Benedict Arnold was ignorant based upon uh, the decisions that he made. And can I say, and I should point out too, that uh, there were uh, instances where people's loyalties changed during the course of the Revolutionary War. And uh, by using the word greedy, folks, when I tend to think of greedy, I tend to think of someone being uh, greedy with their money. In other words, they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about how their actions, say from a financial standpoint, will impact uh, those whom, whom have invested with the company, those whom have uh, put their heart and soul into the company. Those who are acting upon greed are only uh, engaging in the activities for their own self-fulfillment but in the case of the american, in the american revolution era when people's loyalties changed you we could say on one hand that it was um in a sense of greed but it also involved money believe it or not historians know that there were instances where um some uh men uh switched their allegiances for a host of other reasons but it wasn't but money was involved in, as to why their uh, their uh, personal loyalties changed, regardless of whose side they went on. So yes, uh, it is definitely fair to say that many Americans over the years, even after his death in the 19th century, when some of the first books were written about Benedict Arnold, came to see him as a deceitful, manipulative, greedy, ignorant, self-centered, and egotistical individual. At the time of Arnold's peak during the Revolutionary War, he went ab- he went above and beyond in risking his own life to keep american patriot forces hopes for securing independence all the more possible many everyday ordinary people including historians to authors still grapple behind why a man of benedict arnold's status would betray his own country given how much he apparently sacrificed and inspired patriot troop force units into action where they risked everything not knowing what the final end result could ultimately yield so yes i when i first read when i read the book i had to ask myself those questions and and i asked myself those questions even when i'd watched uh, documentaries on uh, benedict arnold why would why did this man do something so unthinkable for his time why did he do it well i could tell you this much and I'll, tell, and I'll probably even say this again before this uh, prologue is over with. Defections don't happen overnight. An act of treason just doesn't happen overnight. There has to be other reasons why an act of treason or, um, or a, an incident involving defection takes place. Throughout the years uh, since Arnold's passing, Most authors have labeled him as being purely vicious, a man with no conscience or remorse, whom simply allowed himself to get caught up in the moment when so many other circumstances appeared to be going against him without any foreseeable means behind modifying the most unspeakable of all sins. Okay, so... It seems like Benedict Arnold had a lot of other things going against him, so it wasn't just one thing, multiple things. But it's a shame that something could not have been done to have modified the situation to where maybe he would have um, not done the unthinkable. But at the same time, we do have to um, investigate further and find out whether or not whether or not um, In fact, there had been some other strategies in place to um, perhaps avoid the worst-case scenario. To better understand why Major General Benedict Arnold betrayed his country in, in time of war must require delving into what happened from the past on a personal and professional level. The personal level uh, will involve uh, exploring Arnold's uh, childhood years and how they went from everything grand to an unthinkable fall with outcomes which never got fully healed. The professional level will involve, for example, studying Benedict Arnold's various military adventures from the Revolutionary War's onset, or rather I should say beginnings, in 1775, including his pivotal leadership skills demonstrated at Saratoga late 1777. What I've provided above is a 101 standard base, or rather I should say playing field, of what we will be covering in the greater study behind Benedict Arnold's fall from grace. We will also be exploring Benedict Arnold's continuous states of fear to becoming dissatisfied with leadership from within Congress to the Continental Army's inner circle, which did have some officers whom Arnold himself engaged in bitter, quarreling disputes. Okay, folks, so here are some other factors that might explain, that have potential to explain why the most unthinkable of action uh, the most unthinkable action or the most unthinkable of decisions occurred by a man whom had been w- whom was willing to risk everything a man whom did fight uh, courageously on the battlefield but yet but yet was dealing with demons inside demons that seemed to constantly get the better of him on the other hand, I think it would be fair to say that that as we uh, progress into this uh, podcast uh, book topic series discussion, it, it would be fair to say that uh, Benedict Arnold did have, at times, he had uh, the right to feel um, bitter. He had the right to feel uh, dis- disappointed and frustrated. But it might be fair to say that in plenty of other instances, Benedict Arnold was probably a victim of his own personal insecurities. Other matters uh, to be explored behind why Benedict Arnold betrayed America will focus on an an intimate uh, relationship with a woman whose family was of high-end status from Philadelphia to the moment he first began approaching uh, British uh, forces about a plot in overtaking a key defense post along New York State's Hudson River Valley to the eventual uncovering of Arnold's secret mission resulting in the capture of a British spymaster, whose name will be revealed uh, much later on in the uh, podcast uh, book topic series. And I'm sure some of you might even know that person's name, but for those of you who don't, I'd rather wait till, it, till the time is right and necessary to mention uh, that uh, spymaster's uh, name because that is a story unto itself. It's fair to say Benedict Arnold appeared complicated. But, uh, but to understand even more so about Arnold's demeanor will require further exploration as to why honor and reputation were profoundly sacred during the times he grew up in. Arnold's ancestral roots could could perhaps tell us more about why honor and image were to stay intact without fail. You know, I've I've always known that um, it is important to have um, a good personal, you know, image. Um, You know, we all want to have a good image, but for some people, when their image um, gets tampered with, it could send them for a free fall. Perhaps a free fall that they don't recover from. It's either because of their own undoing, or it's because of other people's um, accusations, or it could be because of um, it could be a host of, it could be a host for a variety of reasons. But not but not everyone always recovers. Another element behind Benedict Arnold's uh, personal insecurities that is worth um, paying attention on that is worth uh, paying attention on to uh, would be how um, Congress managed the Continental Army which impacted officers all around in general but more so for Arnold given his services experienced Great highs to unbearable lows. Perhaps it might be fair to say that Benedict Arnold's um, services were marked by um, drastic fluctuations. In other words, he had immense highs where it seemed like everything was going right, and finally he was getting some breaks that he needed. But when the lows occurred, everything... um, Everything just went about doing a 360. And and when those lows occurred, yes, for Arnold, the injustices were mounting. People were talking behind his back. And even when the highest of the highs uh, were going right for him, for Benedict Arnold, he knew there were still those out there who, in his eyes, were out to get him. It just seemed like Benedict Arnold was one of those individuals who really could not let go of his per- of whatever personal insecurities um, were um, exist were um, getting the better of him, big and small. Lastly, we will explore the ramifications behind Benedict Arnold's betrayal and how it profoundly impacted the Patriot cause, including high-ranking officers from the inner circle, most notably General George Washington, the Continental Army commander, to Arnold's overall acceptance into the greater ranks of the British Army, and the relationship Arnold maintained with the well-known Philadelphian woman whose family made their fortunes from various professions. For too many years, uh, people had been told Benedict Arnold betrayed his country. While it's true, Arnold did defect over to the British side, which ultimately led to his tragic downfall. No true uh, thorough investigation had been done previously where Arnold's life and tragic fall from grace were brought to the greater audience until recent years. We must be reminded that an act of betrayal, no matter how big or small the matter may seem, doesn't happen just overnight. Betrayal is something where multiple grievances to personal inner wounds build up over time when an individual or individuals simply cannot overcome what happened in the past nor in the present state. The grievances and wounds stay with these people for ultimate for unlimited reasons but someone like benedict arnold whom had so much going right at a young age only to have it be taken from him unexpectedly never fully got over the hurdle of being slighted which stayed in his heart before during and after the revolutionary war ended only to see him on the losing side where the world's mightiest military force after eight years of fighting lost to a ragtag group of men, being the the Continental Army, whom whom really, in my opinion, would be uh, considered David. And whom did uh, David, being the Continental Army, slew over an eight-year course? Goliath, the British Army. Maybe it's fair to say that, okay, if Benedict Arnold was unhappy... Isn't it fair to say that he went over to the side, thinking that the grass would be greener, that he would really be truly welcomed? Well, I can tell you this much: defections are one thing, but the grass is not always on the uh, the grass isn't always green. If there is anything else most people can associate with Benedict Arnold, it would be his heroism displayed at Saratoga. Two battles fought between September 19th to October 7th of 1777, where, in the midst of internal conflict, Arnold prevailed by leading the Continentals to to ultimate victory, but at an expense which nearly cost him his life along with not getting proper recognition deserved. To better understand what happened at Saratoga involving Benedict Arnold must once again require our un- our understanding of his past, which contained a never-ending saga of setbacks where going forward always seemed a bit uncertain as honor and image followed Arnold no matter where his journeys took him. This is the story of one man's survival in times of triumph and setback, but how getting slighted over time led him to do something so unspeakable for the times he was living in, betrayal of his own country during war against the nation whose subjects had already paid the ultimate sacrifice and that they severed ties um, with the mother country. England once and for all. So here, Benedict Arnold, you know, a man who um, wanted independence from England, just like many of his o- many of his own fellow uh, brethren did uh, in the halls of um, Congress in Philadelphia. So how is it that he? How is it that he did the unthinkable? Well. Based upon what I've told you all, we have a lot of work to cover. And the title to this uh, book topic series discussion, obviously it does involve Benedict Arnold in the title, but the the official title is the following, The Tragedy of Benedict Arnold by Joyce Lee Malcolm. This book was written uh, back in uh, 2017 or 2018, but for the longest time, the only thing I really knew about Benedict Arnold was that he had uh, defected. I didn't really know what really... Um, I don't know if I'd say inspired it's not the right word. I'm, I, I, for the longest time, I really didn't know what truly made him want to switch sides other than the fact that, that there had been many instances where he had felt uh, slighted by uh, officers from uh, within the inner circle or and perhaps being slighted by uh, members of Congress, I knew some of that, but there. Uh, but in order to really better understand why he did the unspeakable or the most heinous of uh, acts during the uh, American Revolutionary War, uh, especially um, not long before uh, the Battle of Yorktown began, you know uh, we there. Uh, how do I say it? what we have to what we've got to realize is that um is that there was so much going on in his life and it wasn't all all that great in other words benedict arnold was a man who yes was very insecure and his insecurities got the better of him to the point where for every uh grievance he endured for every act where he f- felt that he was slighted it just wasn't enough to get to get over the hurdle. You know, some people say, you know, you. Some people will say, hey, you know, you need to to do a better job of uh, of uh, not letting so many things get to you, or you know, you need to not you know get so offended easily. You know, and it, and sometimes it can um, be easy in life to get offended by something if if something doesn't go our way. But uh, but for Benedict Arnold you know he maintaining um honor maintaining um a sense of dignity yes all of that was important but in order to understand why his uh reputation and image followed him wherever he went we need to know we've got to get a better understanding of how it all um began in his uh in his uh, early years because uh, if if we don't understand that, then we really can't understand get a better understanding as to why Arnold himself did what he did before um, the Revolutionary War ended, and that was defecting over to the British. So uh, we are definitely in for a great uh, podcast uh, book topic series discussion. And uh, one thing I will point out is that we will uh, I will do uh, the best I can to cover to cover um, as much uh, Revolutionary War activity, given that Arnold himself, uh, as I mentioned early on, was uh, involved uh, from the war's onset. Um, I, will do, I will cover as much as I can uh, during his uh, services in the Continental Army, and I will certainly uh, cover... Um, I will do everything I can to uh, better explain why he ultimately did defect, and how the plot was revealed, and what became of him leading up to his uh, final years of his life. Because he never really was the same person, I'll tell you this much. He wasn't the same person even after he defected. In other words, we have to find out for ourselves. As this podcast uh, book topic series goes along, we'll find out for ourselves if, in fact, Benedict Arnold really was considered a hero to the side whom he defected to. Well, thank you for your time, uh, as always, and when I'm on the air again next, what we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you all an introduction to, um, to the Saratoga campaign. And the reason why I'm going to give you all this introduction is because, in order to understand Benedict Arnold's past, We have to understand, we have to get a a fundamental 101 understanding of what happened uh, during the Saratoga campaign, and I will tell you all this, and I'll probably tell it to you all again when I'm on the air next time, is that uh, the Saratoga campaign will be uh, discussed in in another podcast segment down the road, but it is important for me to share this, um, to share as much 101 information as I can with you all about Saratoga and how, um, Benedict Arnold was impacted by the battle and how, um, and, um, and also uh, certain remarks he made. Certain remarks that um, probably would help us uh, get a better understanding of why his image and reputation were so uh, sacred based upon what he had, what he was trying to overcome so um, So valiantly, uh, given that what happened in his past was something that he was not um, proud of. I think it's fair to say, uh, before wrapping this up, um, I think it's fair to say that we all have a a sad story in our life. We all have uh, dealt with something that, you know, we don't, you know, sometimes feel comfortable sharing with others. But it's up to us as to how we choose to deal with those situations, and as we learn more about Benedict Arnold, we we're gonna um, we might come to the um, astonishment that uh, he simply was a man who just who just could not get over he could not get over the the hump he could not get over the hurdle he tried but no matter how hard he tried there 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 just seemed to be something else blocking him. And uh, I should also point out when I'm on the air again next, we will also talk more about his uh, early upbringings, which I feel are essential. So thank you for your time as always, and I look forward to being back on the air, and thank you again for being such ardent listeners. I look forward to uh, sharing more with you all about the tragedy of Benedict Arnold. Take care for now, and wherever you all may live, continue to stay safe.